everyone. My name is Jonathan Hewitt, and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. All right, everybody. So welcome back to the Conservative Voice Show. So today we're just going to talk about Governor Gavin Gavin Newsom of California, who's coming under fire for what some are calling state-sanctioned segregation. Bernie Sanders is still bidding, actively bidding, for a spot in Biden's cabinet. President Trump's campaign rescinds the lawsuit in Michigan. And Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan faces impeachment. All of this and more on today's show. But before we get started, I just want to start off about talking talking about something that I think is like actually really, 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 really important. Okay? In today's world, like the younger generation in America have like forgotten about American values, forgot about the American system, American institutions, and just the things that made America the country that it is, right? And in an age where the conservative base is aging, we are seeing a majority of that younger generation leaning to the left, talking about things like free education, free health care, the liberal and woke policies of like climate control, believing like the woke culture and that America is systematically flawed somehow. All of these things that we see, right? And those are the topics that the younger generation seem to push over and over and over again, right? If we're going to see that America holds on to the values that it was originally built upon and that make America different than every, any other like nation in the world, we are going to need a younger generation to come up, step up, and fill the shoes of that aging conservative base, right? And this is very, very important. Not just because I'm a conservative, like I find this to be very, very important, but because growing up, I didn't know the importance of politics. Like it was not something that was stressed in my household growing up or anything like that. And so I didn't realize how much it would actually influence my life. Like I didn't understand how much that every single thing that is done in politics kind of has a like, trickle-down effect that ultimately it's going to affect every American in some way, whether it be positive or negative, right? So I understand that the like conservative values to some may not be like catchy as the catchphrases that the left has is making and giving things to people for complete free and that everything is equal, but... I also know that if we don't stop this trend in America and the trend that our country is currently taking, our kids aren't going to have an America. At least not the way that you and I know it, not the way that our parents knew it, not the way that our grandparents knew it, right? Because the values and institutions, right, that make America who it is aren't going to be here anymore. And so if you know any young people that are not conservatives or they are conservatives, or want to learn about the importance of the American institutions, let them know about my show, right? And show them my YouTube channel. And together, all of us, we can all start making a difference and ensuring that the younger generation learns about the conservative values and the American values and the American institutions and the importance in understanding how the system works. So let me know down in the comments what you think about the younger generation's politics like in their political views and the ways that we can help them and try to realign America 
back onto the right path that it needs to be on. All right, guys, so let's jump right into it. So Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom is coming under fire, which probably should have been happening for like forever, seeing that California's political state is just absolutely horrendous, right? Like, it's terrible. There's a reason why so many people like run away from that state. Not just like walk away from that state, but like hop, skip, jump, take a rocket ship as far as they can away from California. Anyways, so in a report from Politico today, right? The... People are calling this, what, what I'm gonna to read to you is like state-sanctioned segregation. And it's actually kind of like appalling to, to read. And just to know that like in America, this is happening. So according to Politico, um, pandemic politics have reached a boiling point in California's school reopening debate. A hands-off approach by Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and public pressure from powerful labor unions has led the state's biggest city districts to keep schools shuttered Leaving, the most, leaving most of California's 6 million public school children learning at home. As the pandemic wears on, more Democrats are sounding the alarm after staying silent earlier this fall. They are increasingly distressed that California's approach has widened the gap between low-income communities of color and wealthier white families. Frustrations hit a new level in October when Newsom said his own children had returned to private schools in Sacramento, while public school students in the surrounding neighbors, neighborhoods remained home. Now leaders in the governor's own party are turning on him, saying the status quo has left the state with crisis-level inequity. California's system amounts to, in quote, state-sanctioned segregation. Patrick O'Donnell, the Democrat of Long Beach, the chair of the State Assembly Education Committee, said in an interview, a frank, de a frank declaration for the Democrat consistently supported by the California Teachers Association. Like, that's absolutely true too. Like, how do you, especially in a state as blue as California, right? In, a, in the Democrat like, party as a whole, preach about inequality and inequity. Just because you go to a private school does not mean that you should go to school. If the private schools are open, the public schools should be open. Like, your money should not dictate whether your kids go to school. And what I mean by that is that every student should have the availability, correct, to go to school. And in terms of like, just because it is a private school does not mean that it should be open. If the public school is not open, then the private school should not be open. There's no difference in that besides the money, right? So, because Joe Biden holds this magical key to stopping the virus, like, the, the article goes on to say, it is possible that labor, labor unions and parents will have more confidence in the Democratic administration to ensure classroom conditions are safe. The presidential candidate, the president, really does not have that much influence on what happens inside that school. And your state has been ran by a Democratic governor for years now. So, to, like, for decades. Like, California's been blue for, like, ever. And so to say that just because Joe Biden may be elected, that the school board and the labor unions and parents are going to feel more safe about their children going to school. Well, Gavin Newsom seems to feel just safe sending his children to school. 
like it just all goes around this like idea that somehow Biden is going to like magically stop the number of COVID cases. Like how? By mandating that everyone stay in their house, in their basement like he did during the entire 2020 election. Like that they're not gonna have any contact with him, like with anybody. Like that is an unfeasible idea. And in the bluest state in the nation is one of the largest racial wealth gaps, right? One of the largest racial wealth gaps. And that article in Political highlights that, right? Like in here, it talks about how there are increasing distress that California's approach has widened the, the gap between low-income communities of color and wealthier white families. Like, that is the bluest nation in the world saying there is an income gap, right, between low-income minorities and white people. Which serves to show that the idea of leaving people on, like, like welfare and other social, well, like, social safety systems and programs is not going to close that racial gap, right? How about you do, like, you lower your unemployment rate? You make jobs for minorities. You enfranchise minorities to become business owners who will then employ other minorities. But they cannot do that because in doing so would go against the tenets of like the progressive left system. Like even though they could have the, abil like the ability to let's say offer like incentives for minorities to open businesses because minority business owners more than likely will hire other minorities. Take like here where I live, like, I live in a primarily African-American dominated city. And a lot of these small businesses that are owned by African-Americans are like family businesses that then employ other African-Americans. So the, the way to stop that gap that there is in California is not to provide them with free everything. It is not to like provide some overall arcing social welfare system that will bring them out of poverty. No, the way that you bridge that gap is by enfranchising the minorities and helping drive down unemployment rates so they can have actual jobs. That's how you stop it. But what Gavin Newsom's doing, Governor um, Whitmere, the Andrew Cuomo, like a slew of Democratic governors are that we've seen, like they've enacted like these draconian lockdowns and it's happening all across the United States. Like, remember when the lockdowns were for the purposes of slowing the curve, making sure the hospitals did not get overrun? We did that. Like, it's time to open America safely. Sure, keep social distancing. Wear a mask if that's what you think is best. Sure, but continually shutting down the country will not get us back to where we need to be, especially with the children. Children need to learn. They need to be learning not only, like, education, like history, math, science, right? They need to be learning social skills. Otherwise, you're gonna have basement dwellers for the rest of your, like their life because they miss key social learning aspects when they sh that they can't learn at home. So they need to learn, and they're not innately a vulnerable community. Like the amount of children dying from the coronavirus is exponentially low. And so they need to go back to school. And like when you have like political talking about that racial and gap divide, and we, that's overarching and talking about like the, just the division in America currently.
nothing helps it like the headlines of like the Washington Post. Like absolutely nothing. So for a while now, under their title on their main page, right? The Washington Post has like right under it. It says Washington Post and then right under it. Democracy dies in darkness. Okay, I can get behind that. I really, really can, okay? Like I can say that if we just turn a blind eye to it, that democracy will fail. Because it takes the right people doing the right thing to ensure that democracy like prevails, sure. But what I can't get behind, right, is they're like little subtitles. Like we have really like the Washington Post, they have like all their headline news on their front page, right? And then like little like their, their front page news like categorized. One of their categories today is literally titled Race and Reckoning. Because nothing brings the United States together like a racial reckoning. There is not a racial reckoning like African Americans, minorities, are not being overtly attacked. They are not being hung in the streets like they were before the Civil Rights Act. They are not enslaved. Like, African Americans have just the same rights and liberties as every other, like, ethnic community in America. Like, to say that there is some racial reckoning happening right now is absolutely falsifying and just pushes the narrative of division in America. It is absolutely insane how complicit the media is in the division of America. Like, they are not objective journalists anymore. They are writers and news stations and news outlets that have bowed down before the woke and cancel culture that is running rampant in America. Like, it is absolutely absurd. And they are to blame for a vast majority of how people perceive what is going on in America. So, I don't know where it is, I couldn't find it, but I watched a video on, I think it was Twitter the other day, of a black man talking about how the media manipulates African Americans and minorities by using the word racial. And he's, he's absolutely right. The media pushes this racial agenda that there's some huge racial inequality happening in America. But when you look at the statistics, it just does not prove it. Like, it does not prove that there are overt acts of police brutality against minorities. There is not, like, just crazy facts that would support that there is a huge wage gap in America based on the idea of racism between races, okay? When you look at the income gap between white Americans and black Americans, there is one. But when you look at things like the gap between how many white Americans go to college and how many black Americans go to college, if you have a bachelor's degree, the like chance that you're going to be paid a higher paying job is increases than that if you just have a high school diploma. So to say that there's that there's gaps and all these inequalities are based on some form of like racial bias is incorrect. What it's based on is that there are other means and factors at hand when talking about like income and wages and things like that. So the media pushing the word racial has drawn that division in America, has been the lighter fluid and the gasoline to support the woke culture and cancel culture, cancel culture in America. It's, it's absolutely incredible how they still call themselves objective. So moving on, Bernie Sanders today has gained and began to sh like 
gained like a little bit of momentum and began to stress more about how important he would be like and how much he would like a place in Biden's cabinet and how important he thinks it is to him. So in a report from Fox News today, written by Brooke uh, Singman, Senator Bernie Sanders made the case to join the Biden administration Thursday, saying that serving as a labor secretary for the president-elect Joe Biden, end quote, would be a very attractive position. Senator, I'm sorry, Senator Sanders from Vermont during an interview on CNN Wednesday night said he wants to, end quote, do everything I can to protect working families, <laughs> working families in the country who in many ways are living in terrible desperation now. Yes, because there is nothing that protects the working family more than socialism, than sending everybody home and the government's going to provide you all your money. And quote, and if I can do that in the Senate, that's great, he said. If I can do it within the Biden administration, that's great as well. I think something like Secretary of Labor would be a very attractive position, Sanders said. It would give me the opportunity to fight to raise minimum wage to a little living wage, equal pay for equal work for women. It would give me the opportunity to make sure that the workers are entitled to overtime pay, get that overtime pay. Sanders went on to add that he would ensure workers get pensions that have been taken away from them and would help workers organize into unions so they earn a decent wages through collective bargaining, etc., etc. Okay. First of all, everything he's saying is the same thing that, that Sanders has been preaching for like years now. And there's a reason why it's not working. He did not secure the nomination for the Democratic Party, even though he's tried for eight years in a row now to get it. You think he would get the like point that the American people do not want his socialist agenda. And I'm not an economics major, I'm not an economist, but I do understand that increasing the like, minimum wage would do a huge detriment to our economy. Like radically increasing the minimum wage would do would force small businesses out of like out of business. They would be unable to provide those wages to their employees and would have to shut down. Second, you increase the wage, like minimum wages. Even large businesses are going to have to increase their prices for products and services to make up for the money that they're losing paying for minimum wage. Small businesses, like I said, would either have to force, like close, be forced to lay people off so that they can sustain like, the consequences of radically increasing the minimum wage would be detrimental, would be absolutely destructive to our economy. And the wage gap for women is not due to some bias towards women. Like that just goes along with that same whole culture that the left has been, been like promulgating. It's, because, it's caused because men are more prone to do jobs that are less than desirable. It's caused because men are do more jobs that cause more physical labor. Like how many women are willing to work in construction? How many women do you see in the lineman industry? How many women do you see in the underwater welding community? How many, like, like construction, road construction, all of these jobs are very lucrative paying jobs that are just primarily male-dominated fields. And so just because there's men in male-dominated fields where other people do not want to do that job does not mean that there is a biasness in like the American workforce. Like this is something that, like I said, the left's been like using for like ever. And it's that any system that produces an unequal outcome is either racial injustice like there's some form of social justice issue with it or it's proof of some form of biasness. No, just because they're, just because like he wants to, I'm sorry, 
Sanders wants to create an equal system where equal input equals equal output, right? I'm sorry, he wants to produce an equal output without an equal input. So what I mean by that is that if there are 30 people that work in a business and 10 of those people decide they don't really wanna work and they don't wanna do hard work and the other 20 people do, well, those other 20 people are gonna get paid more, let's say, right? Sanders wants to take the wages from those 20 people that work incredibly hard and give that to the 10 people that work not very hard in order to level the output or the wage output that, those, that all 30 of them receive. He wants to minimize American ingenuity and make sure that no matter what, the same outcome is achieved every single time. Instead of giving everybody the same ability to achieve something, like allowing them and giving them the opportunity to do it and allowing the American to seize that opportunity for themselves to make a better life for themselves. He just wants to give it to them, just give it to them and regardless of how much work that they do. So like I said yesterday on the show, the progressives that radicalize their base are using this like idea or using that to like kind of like cash in on like, hey, Biden, yo dog, we got you those votes. Now you're going to give me a, a cabinet position. And we're seeing that with like, I said, with like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who are pushing, just overtly pushing for a spot in Biden's cabinet. And we have seen, like I said, time and time again, where any system that does not produce an equal output for every single person involved is somehow innately bad. And that's just untrue. Every single American has the rights and the ability to do great things for themselves. They just have to take on and open themselves to do it and take the risks. Like there's not a single businessman in America that has not taken some form of risk. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. Therefore, if the people who were who are not achieving what they want to achieve took more risks, went to school, got educated, right? There's tons of scholarships, grants, whatever, right? Do that. Then open a business. Hell, don't go to college. Don't go into the indoctrination of the left. Open your own business. Start your own business. Grow and maximize your ingenuity. That is what makes America, America. And that is what makes us greater than any other nation in the world, is our ability that every single person has the right and the option to do that. They just have to seize that time. They just have to do what is necessary to become successful. And relying on the government is not how you become successful. So speaking of Biden getting elected, and his cabinet. There are talks of his transition team about how they're going to persuade um, resistant Republican governors to enact mask mandates and how they're going to just kind of tiptoe around the coronavirus and everything like that, right? So here's the deal, guys. The federal government does not have the power to enact a nationwide mask mandate. Like the police power does not reside with the federal government, it resides with the state, right? And Biden knows this. So what he's going to try to do is persuade them in some form of fashion, right? So in a report from Fox News today, I'm sorry, not Fox News, CNN today, written by Michael Warren, Dan Merica, and Tara Sebra, Sebra Manium, 
President-elect Joe Biden's team is discussing ways to persuade resistant Republican governors to get on board with mandating masks to stop the spread of COVID-19, according to sources familiar with those conversations. The Biden transition team is treading lightly so far, saying little about how the incoming administration plans to address what is likely to be among the first tests of Biden's ability to bridge political divides and find consensus. Before engaging with any of the 13 Republican governors who have yet to pass statewide mask mandates, Biden says the Biden team is reaching out to more amenable governors, including holding staff-level meetings with Republican Larry Hogan of Maryland, who was an early adopter of the mask mandate and other preventative measure. Another option under consideration is using economic incentives, which would likely be implemented in an upcoming spending bill to introduce mask mandates, according to one person familiar with the plans being discussed inside the Biden transition team. Like, I don't understand where they think that they're going. Like, I truly don't. And I, I understand that they want to slow this, but I, I, I do get that, right? But the, the ways that they go about it are absolutely absurd, right? Later down in that article, it says, no matter what approach Biden and his team take, experts say the reality will likely be something of patchwork set of rules and guidelines across thousands of localities that will rely as much on social pressure as legal mandates to enforce. I think the issue of a nationwide mandate is going to be tricky, said Dr. Marcus Plissia, the chief medical officer at the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. And quote, with a lot of these public health laws and regulations, we really depend on social enforcement. And that's really, really true, right? So I think where I live here in South Carolina, there is not a huge call for mask wearing. Like, yeah, businesses have signs up recommending it. And the, there is a local ordinance saying that you need to wear a mask. But a majority of people wear it voluntarily. Like if you're, and if you're not wearing it, people don't really bother you about it, right? Like you can go to Walmart and not wear a mask and you're not gonna get much flack for it. Like you'll get a Karen every now and then that like gets upset about you not wearing it. But the majority of the people where I live don't really seem to care about it. And I live in a red county inside South Carolina, which is a red state. And if we think this is just one, like one snippet county of one like snippet state out of all the Republican states in the union, then we can see how like Biden will have an issue convincing these governors to enact a statewide mask mandate. Like this is the standing issue. They're not socially acceptable. And laws are primarily based on what the community and society sees as acceptable. And so if you have a law that is not socially acceptable, then people aren't going to enforce it. People aren't going to call about it. And then there's gonna be no actual enforcement of the law. and almost becomes unenforceable. Because let's say, right, like, let's say like I go out and there's a statewide mask mandate. I go out in town, right? And I'm not wearing a mask. Cop comes up, tells me put on a mask. I refuse. They could arrest me, yes. Or they could give me a ticket, but no one can actually force me to wear that mask. Like they can't like strap you down to a table and force you to wear a mask. And that and therein lies the issue is that mask mandates, social distancing mandates, healthy like the governors Andrew Cuomo and uh, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan that like enacted like executive orders reducing the amount of people you can have inside your house. Like those are unenforceable laws. How are you, first of all, how are you gonna know how many people I have in my house? Because you can't come in my house without a warrant if I tell you no. 
And how are you going to stop me from what I do inside my residence? So I find it to be very, very hard. The, the states are going to find it very, very hard to enforce those. And I think it will be very interesting, like the article says, to see how Biden's administration, if elected, traverses not only the state and local governments, but with the Senate that is poised to remain inside Republican control. Like, that's going to be very, very difficult for him. And he's going to have a hard time, like, trying to enact the progressive policies that his base wants. All right, guys. So on to the election. Litigation continues, as it has now for over two weeks. Like I've said, they will continue. Just be patient. Like, it's all going to, like, everything's going to be figured out one way or the other. Like, Either Biden's going to be the president or Trump's going to be the president. Those are the only two outcomes that we have right now. So just let the process play out. Rudy Giuliani um, said, announced today that the Trump administration is going to be dropping the lawsuit in Michigan. However, so we, we know that in Wayne County, there was a huge lawsuit that the Trump administration was bringing forward about the votes being certified and things like that. Well, according to Fox News today, in an article written by Megan Haney, President Trump's re-election campaign said Thursday that it would be dropping a lawsuit challenging voting results in Michigan, which showed Democratic, Democrat Joe Biden narrowly carrying the battleground state. This morning we are withdrawing our lawsuit in Michigan, Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal attorney, said in a statement. Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, said the decision to rescind the lawsuit is the, in quote, direct result of achieving the relief we sought to stop the election in Wayne County from being prematurely certified before residents can be assured that every legal vote has been counted and every illegal vote has not been counted. The Trump's campaign's lawsuit had attempted to stop Wayne County, Michigan's most populous county, and includes Detroit from certifying its election results, alleging that thousands of invalid ballots were counted by election workers. So remember, yesterday, there was those uh, two Republicans from the Board of Canvassers that were harassed and threatened over a brief stall with the Democrats, right? So yesterday, well, Tuesday, they did certify their results, right? Those two Republicans, at the, the Board of Canvassers certified their results. Well, today they, re they wrote a statement. So in another the article from Fox News, those two Republicans on Michigan's Wayne County Board of Canvassers claimed and signed affidavits Wednesday that they were bullied into siding with Democrats and have now rescinded their votes to certify. The two Republicans, Monica Palmer and William C. Hartman, were involved in a brief deadlock in the county's election certification process Tuesday before voting to certify. Wayne County, which includes Detroit, is Michigan's most populous county with 1.7 million residents. The Associated Press reported that a person familiar with the matter said Trump himself reached out to the canvassers on Tuesday evening after the revised vote to express gratitude for their support. Then, on Wednesday, Palmer and Hartman signed affidavits saying that they believe the county's vote should not be certified. So, the problem that everyone's having here is saying that, oh, well, they were certified and Trump called them and they must like, somehow told them not to certify the votes. Like, do I think that that was what happened? No. I think that at first, they did not want to certify it for whatever issue that they had. They were then harassed. Their families were threatened. They were called racist, drugged through the mud, like just like 
treated absolutely terribly to where they were threatened into signing their certification and voting certified. So in that same article, um, the campsers cite in their signed sworn affidavits that they felt harassed and threatened into signing with the Democrats. Like, before we move forward, like maybe, sure, maybe is it political? Maybe. But not a single person in America should be harassed, threatened for doing the right thing, regardless of what outcome it is. But all they were trying to do is ensure that the system was fair and equal. And they were just absolutely harassed for doing their job, which is what happened. And so this is ugly. This is absolutely an ugly, ugly situation. And what happens with them rescinding in those affidavits, like I said before, it'll be litigated and whatever outcome comes out will be on, on the court and whatever they decide, right? But it's going to get uglier. Like, do I, do I know there's widespread voter fraud? I do not. Like, if there is, they need to present the evidence. If there's not, then they just need to move on with the election and the certification process. But all of it is going to be handled in court. The evidence will go in front of the court. The court will decide. And then we'll find out who the president is going to be. Like, that is just the way the American process works. It's the way that it's always worked. It's the way that it's worked since the dawn of our time. That if there's an issue, the litigation process happens in court. It's how it's handled. But when it comes to court processes and things like that, the Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer may have a huge problem on her hand, right? So, according to a report from Fox News, um, the Republican, three Republican members of Michigan's House of Representatives introduced a resolution for impeachment against Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer Wednesday following the state's plan to enforce new coronavirus-related restrictions. Today, I introduce articles of impeachment against Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Republican Beau Lefebvre, said on Twitter Wednesday. The four articles of impeachment against Governor Whitmer include failing to respect the separation of powers by exercising powers granted to the legislative branch, violating the constitutional rights of the people of Michigan, issuing executive orders against the interests of the people in the state, and using state resources to reward political allies, he added. Lefebvre, along with representatives Matt Maddock and Derek Rendon, issued the resolution claiming the governor has guilty, has guilty of corrupt conduct in office and crimes and misdemeanors. After she and the Department of Health and Human Services issued a three-week order limiting indoor social gatherings Wednesday. So in response to the governor and the state health officials and say the pause to save lives, which was in direct response, right, to their huge um, spike, I wouldn't even say a huge spike, just a spike in the coronavirus cases, which closed the door to eating in restaurants and bars, along with limiting residential gatherings through Thanksgiving holidays to two households at a time. All right, so this could be absolutely, like, huge, actually. Like, it could set a precedent for governors handling the coronavirus going forward. What it brings into question is how much authority do governors have in executive orders and how much does it surpass the separation of power? I agree with some of the Republicans that are saying that they should not impeach her just because they disagree with her policies. Um, I'm not sure how else they would go about it. I guess they could legislate 
laws that reduce the powers of her executive orders. But I definitely do think that the governors, like across the nation, need to have their ex that executive power checked because they are like using that executive power granted to them to circumvent the legislative branch and legislative laws. Like, secondly, you cannot limit legally, I don't think, how many people you can have inside your residence. I've been saying this for days. The Fourth Amendment protects you from the intrusion of the government into your household. If I want to have my friends over for Thanksgiving along with my family, that's my prerogative. And the federal government does not help. The state government does not have the authority to tell me how many people I can have inside my residence. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes, especially as we're seeing Democratic governors flex that executive like authority all across the nation, right? Like, depending on how this impeachment goes, how it goes inside the Michigan House of Representatives and onto that the Senate, if it does get Senate, they do get the votes and it is forwarded onto the Senate, like, it could have huge precedent for the rest of the country and the governor's handlings of executive orders moving forward. So that's it for today, guys. Like I said at the beginning, if you know any young patriots, any young conservatives that are on, or people who are on the fence about it, and you don't want them to be brainwashed by the race and reckoning, Washington Post, CNN, just the left wokest media that's out there, have them talk to me, leave a comment um, with a question that they may have. Reach out to me, right? We, like I said, we have to ensure that we begin to get young Americans interested in politics and interested in the American values that make us great. So put them here, let us talk, and let us bring young conservatives and breed young conservatives. Therefore, that we can ensure that the future of our country continues. As always, guys, if you want a full episode video, a full video episode, it'll be on YouTube. And thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe and God bless you all.